Welcome to New Realities. I'm Alan Steinfeld. This program tonight is a panel I hosted about the ongoing disclosure, how that's connected to consciousness. We have some very big names, big stars, lots of opinions. Sit back and enjoy this episode of New Realities. I say there's an offense and defense if we're talking about UFOs and disclosure and all that. And the defense is the government. The offense is the experiencers and going out there and sharing what's there. But I have a really great cast of panelists here today who are deep into the topic. I can't actually think of anyone, but there probably are people deeper or as deep into this. So let me start with um, Grant Cameron, his um, White House UFO studies on each president in the U.S. revealed that we are deeply connected to this phenomena for for probably more than 75 years. It goes back, Grant tracks history, and he's also just, not just, but he's also opened up to the other levels that it's not just about the ships, it's about us, it's about consciousness. And we'll get into that a little. And thanks, Grant, for being here. And then we have my good friend, Carolyn Corey, who just wrote, a, who just did, directed, produced a movie called A Tear in the Sky. Can you tell us a little bit about what the tear in the sky means, Carolyn? It means we found a wormhole <laughs> in a nutshell. <laughs> well, it's a scientific investigation of uh, UFOs, which hasn't been done before in this way. There's been scientific studies of uh, film and videos, but not an actual expedition. So uh, that's what the film is about to show how with the proper instrumentation, the proper setup, uh, the proper technology, we can capture uh, UFOs and we did in five days. So that's what the subject of the film is, which I think is revolutionary because it's never been done before. It's a fantastic film. Of course, you get guest appearance by William Shatner and Michio Kaku, I, I recommend it. Um, and then we have my old friend, Michael Mannion. Thanks, Michael, for being here. Go ahead. <clears throat> Thanks for the invite. And Michael ha Michael's <laughs> runs the MindShiftInstitute.org. Actually, I think I met John Mack through some of the talks that you sponsored back in the day. Yeah, yeah, 25 years ago. Yes, wow. that's major. And Michael has a very important event coming up. Uh, um, on the 12th, I'm going to do a little screen share of that. It's, let me just screen share that. And here this is, you see that on your screen there? Is that, is that on the screen? Yeah. Okay. It's called the next step, the unitary approach to planetary emergence, personal, sociological, ecological. Can you talk about what why you uh, are doing this event on March 12th in New York City? Yeah, we're doing it at the uh, New York Academy of Medicine on 135th. And what what we're looking at is, it was uh, 1956 that Wilhelm Reich uh, made his appeals to the uh, Supreme Court to try to prevent them from burning and banning his books. And very few people know what he actually told the Supreme Court in those appeals that he made. And many, three of the major things that he was uh, telling them uh, are all hot topics and subjects now. 
and the speakers that are at our event, Ralph Blumenthal, the New York Times, and Rudy Schild, and then three weather engineers are all doing work that Reich told the Supreme Court was coming. Uh, the reality of the extraterrestrial presence, uh, a new view of the universe and our place in it, and uh, using uh, the orgone energy uh, weather engineering technology to help us combat uh, desertification, forest death, drought, floods, and other uh, aspects of uh, extreme climate change. So that's what we mean by the planetary emergency. And uh, the reason it's personal, societal, and ecological is that we have to change as human beings to become people who are capable of understanding and using uh, the, the uh, mass-free energy that fills the universe technologically so that we can address the various crises we face. So, so you, can't, you can't just use it like mechanistic technology because it involves the subjective and the objective. You have to feel what you're doing and you have to be in emotional contact with it in order to do it. And uh, so we're, we have people who are, uh, I'm going to give a presentation and Trish on the overall picture, Trish Corbett, my wife and partner in this, and then Ralph Blumenthal and Rudy Schild and Dr. Connie Hutsteiner, Dr. Uh, Stefan Simonian and Dr. Roberto Maglioni, who will be remote from Italy. They're all going to talk about their work, but their work is what Reich was telling the Supreme Court about in 1956. They didn't listen to him. Uh, they're the court that approved the burning of the mass psychology of fascism, the burning of the function of the orgasm, right as they expanded the definition of obscenity to allow all kinds of other books to be published. They burned Reich's uh, writings on human sexuality, and they burned books like Cosmic Superimposition, and which showed the beginning of this new view of the universe and our place in it. So we think it's a very exciting conference and it's unlike uh, anything else that I know of in, the, in recent years. And it's in person at the New York Academy of Medicine, but we're also offering it uh, free via live streaming on YouTube. You can go to mindshiftinstitute.org, go under events. That is Saturday, November 12th. And yeah, we'll, we'll go deeper into those subjects. But, you know, Reich would do these. Um, what are those machines he made that would attract UFOs? These, well, um, and that's not really it, Alan. He had, a, he had a device that he used to influence the energy field of the planet uh, at the time, two groups were interested in observing his work. One was the United States Air Force, and the other were extraterrestrials. So he didn't invent devices to attract uh, UFOs. UFOs were attracted to his work, and the devices that he, uh, he, he uh, created had an influence on the energy field, and that was the energy that he believed that the craft were craft were using. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, thank you, Michael. We'll get more into Reich's work too, and and that was the beginning. Of, well, not the beginning, but that was part of the crackdown and not allowing the understanding of consciousness to really be a part of this new discovery, a new way. Yeah, of being. and 
you know, and back back in the 50s, you know, Reich only lived a few years into the modern UFO era, and he really only learned about it in 52, 53 from early books back then, like The Flying Storses Have Landed by Adamski and, and uh, Major Donald Kehoe's books. The only other scientist who was speaking out back then was uh, James McDonald, mm. you know, so the, the, the two of them were pretty alone. And, uh, you know, even the people who were followers of Reich's therapeutic work, uh, they didn't go with him on this. They were kind of embarrassed by it. Right. But, you know, it's 65 years later and times are changing. Well, that's why we're here today. Thanks, Michael. And that's um, uh, that's um, November 12th at the Academy of Medicine up on 103rd and 5th. And uh, you get tickets at mind sh mindshift.org. And we'll come back to you. Um, Melinda Leslie has been on the scene talking about, well, talking about some of the things Grant's new book is about flying UFOs and ex your experiences, but you're also talking a, yeah, about are, yeah. what's happening inside governments, right? You're also following the whole disclosure movement. And where are we right now in the disclosure, according to your research? Oh, goodness. <laughs> That's a, That's a loaded first question. No, I know because there's so much happening every day. What have you picked up on lately? It's supposed to be well, a, big, yeah, a big drop. Yeah, well, there there is a lot going on. I I took you guys a ton of notes, so I'd be prepared for today. So I could, you know, if I jump into it, I'd be an hour right now, and I don't do that to the game of the call, obviously. But for one major thing is, um, first off, yes, we're supposed to we the classified report happened that went to. I'll just give a very brief right now. I know much more data, but I'll go with this. Classified report went to Congress, uh, to the House and Senate, and um, and that happened on time or at the last minute, as you know, as the case may be on the 31st of October, and we are supposed to be getting a public report. Um, insider accounts are saying, and if you guys know differently, Grant may know he can correct me, but my under or even Carolyn, you might know. Um, <coughs> My understanding is um, a public report will come out before the end of the week, so any day now or early next week. Um, I'm hearing both accounts. Some people are saying it'll be Monday or Tuesday. Some people are saying it'll be, you know, probably Friday. So we'll see. Um, that is the public report. And everyone is, you know, armchair quarterbacking in the UFO community, um, trying to kind of second guess this thing. There's been a rash of recent articles um, one very negative one, I'm sure you guys are well aware of in the New York Times, and then a bunch of very positive supporting ones. Um, I can get more into that, but basically what we're hearing from um, apparently uh, people leaking information to these journalists is that um, it's 50% explained and 50% unexplained uh, uh, sightings that has been being gathered in this report. And of course, this report was the Gillibrand Amendment in last year's NDAA, National Defense Authorization Act. And, uh, and it, it, or this year's, I should say, it was approved the end of last year. And, um, and so this year's meeting, 2022, NDAA said that they had to produce this yearly report. 
and uh, and it's had to be submitted to Senate and the Congress. I'm not sure that there was any promise for public one, but we are told that we will get a public one like we did last June, which I believe was the last one. And uh, and so it, it, again, in the NDAA um, and uh, let me see here. Um, there are 22 pages, 366 cases listed is what we're hearing. And uh, and we'll get the public one right away. Um, I could go into into more, but that's the basics. And then and then Grant and I real quick are working on um, together. We have kind of right Grant. We've kind of joined up in in his release of the Oak Shannon notes in support of the Wilson Davis notes. So that's kind of a subset of the disclosure process that's going on last May, read into the record was the Wilson Davis notes. We'll probably get in more into that. But um, Grant and I have been researching the history of the working group um, and uh, their first meeting. Grant had Oak Shannon's notes from that meeting. I had Jack Houck's and we released them together. Uh, mine were really supporting his, so it's really more about the Shannon notes. Um, but Jack had the outline for that original meeting in 85. And why is that important? Because Oak Shannon's mentioned in Wilson Davis, and he recently went public um, for Project Unity uh, with Jay Anderson about uh, his involvement in that and backing up that the quotes attributed to Admiral Wilson that Shannon said uh, were in fact accurate, that he said, I said those, I had those meetings with the Admiral, and why he couldn't make a claim to whether the meeting between Dr. Eric Davis and the Admiral happened, he could make claims that everything the Admiral was being quoted as saying about him were accurate. Well, and so, so we went public with documentation to support what was Oak Shannon's involvement in that. And, and as I said, Grant and I and others uh, my research associate, Randy Copang, and I for years have been researching the history of the working group. So I've been following disclosure to the, what can I say, to the nth degree for many years. I know you are having, that's why I wanted you here. But before we go Thank into- Thank you. Thank we'll, you, by the way, for having me here. I'm very I'm honored. Thank you, Ellen. I appreciate it. This document and no grant, but after, I just wanted, we talked about Kristen Gillibrand and Ozzy Franco here had a personal up close um, interaction with Gillibrand. And I think I was surprised how enthusiastic she actually was about this topic. Anything you want to say before you show the video, Ozzy? Um, well, let's show the video first, and then I can ask and ask and other people, questions. I love other people to comment because- Real I quick, I just want to say, Osvaldo, thank you. Of course, I've already seen it online. And and everyone, this is this is really important because Gillibrand was the kind of the lead behind the Gillibrand Amendment and uh, and one of the chief proponents uh, in Congress uh, about this current disclosure project going on or disclosure. Um, now the new legislation for this year, we can get more into that later. But anyways, I just wanted to thank you for for being courageous enough to approach her and do what you did. Thank you. Here we go. Well, thank you yeah. for being Melinda Leslie and doing all you've done for all these <laughs> oh, years. Oh, you're so sweet. So. Thank you. <laughs> you know, I'm so, I thought she was just a politician just saying, yeah, to get votes, but she seems pretty sincere. So let me see if I can yeah. screen share this here. Okay. Do you see this on, this is, I, it's a strange angle looking at the feet, but listen to what she asked. <laughs> Sorry about that. 
Senator Gillibrand, I want to thank you on behalf of so many of my friends and colleagues for your UAP reform support. Yes. When I have some questions. When can we expect a public hearing regarding uh, UFOs and UAPs, specifically with the, the, these, these reforms in place? Also, can I interview you? I'm trying to do a public affairs show about this. Thank you so much. Two days ago. Oh, that was from the UFO Jesus uh, website. But anyway, um, do you want to explain that a little bit? And then I'll get a reaction. Because also Caroline, of course, uh, documented heat sensors, radar, all that in her film. But what, what I was surprised how sincere she was. But what was the yeah. follow-up to that, Ozzy? Well, uh I uh, had another meeting with Senator Gillibrand. Um, okay. I, have not re- I have not released the video yet. Uh, basically, uh, I'm very impressed with Senator Gillibrand. Gillibrand is awesome. Uh, she's done a fantastic job. Um, she is very enthusiastic. Very enthusiastic. In fact, the video shows how enthusiastic she is, yeah. the, the second one. Um, like, uh, uh, like, very encouraging. Uh, there's good inf- uh, stuff coming out of this. Uh, this isn't over, uh, not by a long shot. Um, I, uh, during that, uh, conversation meeting with her, I gave her some documents. Uh, I don't know if any of you have heard of, uh, Forsaken Poseidon. What's it? What did you say? What's it called? Uh, uh, pardon me. Poseidon Forsaken. No, I don't know. It's a, it's, uh, it's, it's some, uh, 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 it is a that was given to me by my friend Christopher Wolford, and uh, basically it's from it's, it's some very important stuff that's actionable, and I gave that to uh, Senator Gillibrand with some other uh, documents and papers uh, from other associates of mine that pertain to this matter. So, what do you think of the upshot? When is she actually going to take some action? Do you feel? Um. Let's wait and see what's going on. Again, like we're, we're getting delays, but uh, she, there, there's more that's going on with this. Okay. Uh, let's say that uh, from from my uh, experience with Senator Gillibrand, uh, there are a lot of people that are saying like a lot of negative things about this, but that's not my um, experience. Like I, I, all of my interactions with Senator Gillibrand have been very, very positive uh, okay. in regards to this, which is, you know, a relief. 
Yeah, Melinda. Uh, Oswaldo, um, could you uh, tell us a little bit about that document you gave to her that you got from, you said it was from Christopher Wol Wolford, you said? Yes. Uh, yeah, can you tell us a little bit about what the nature of that is? I'm not familiar with this. It uh, basically it is uh, it is a it's basically a list of who's doing what, okay. you know, and, and and why we say they're doing what, and you know, reasons to believe actionable information uh, in regards to in terms of like who's basically playing who's holding this the cards with this, um, you know, who who is. Uh, uh, actually, like involved in this at, at at very high levels. Just just curious, is it, it, it? This is either a yes or no question. Is it that same one that was known to be put out by Dr. Stephen Greer quite a while back? Uh, I don't think so. This okay, is not, just curious. Uh, anyway, yeah, we'll I don't. I'm not. A, I'm not a Greer person. Uh, As well, we'll come back to you about the Gary Nolan work you're doing. But let's go to Grant. Grant, what do you think of the what Gillibrand actually was as a person and her interest here? Uh, well, I think the first thing people have to realize Gillibrand is and where she how she got into politics. Uh, Hillary Clinton left her Senate seat to go to the State Department, and she was appointed by the Hillary Clinton people to take Hillary Clinton's seat. Uh, she ran for president in the 2020, and she was backed by Hillary Clinton. If you look at John Podesta's um, stuff about his donations, you'll see John Podesta made a lot of donations to Gillibrand's committee. So that may be why she's so hyped up on UFOs because she knows Podesta and she knows Hillary. And you think she uh, was briefed I mean, by Podesta about it? Was she briefed on that? Because Podesta's really into it. Well, no, we don't know that. But we know that John gave camp con uh, contributions to her campaign numerous times while she was running. If you look at his contributions, they're all online. Uh, so it would be like, you know, that they're backing her and they put her in there and stuff. And so she's friends with Hillary Clinton and Hillary Clinton was the one that talked her into running for president. So uh, there's this very close connection as to who she is and the fact that Hillary and, and Podesta are both very into UFOs. So it makes sense that they have talked to her about this issue and maybe told her to get in the front and take take control of the thing so you get credit for it before anybody else does. And uh, so that's maybe why she jumped on it. I think... Um, uh, Osvaldo asked the right question. I'm not sure it's going to happen. And that is the question is when are we going to get public hearings? The first um, report that we got back was worse than Blue Book. In Blue Book, you had all the reports. You knew what the reports were. You knew what the sightings were. You knew what the shapes of the crafts were. And what did we get from the first? We had They said there was, what, 144 uh, sightings, uh, one that we, they could identify in the 143. We can't tell you anything about them. What, what's the shape? It's classified. What's the, the sighting? Oh, it's classified. And this has all gone into the black world. And I think the same thing is going to happen in the second report. It's going to be the same thing. It's going to be we got half these things are explained. Uh, these are classified. We can't talk about it. And basically, it's an initiative to get all this material gathered from all the different agencies for the Department of Defense and their national insecurity uh, budget. And it's, I don't think it's gonna come public. The question is, when do we have public hearings and are we actually gonna get any of this material? Because uh, I, I quoted to you yesterday, I was talking to you, Alan, about what Eric Walker had told us and he knew what was going on. He said, why should we change the rules to satisfy your curiosity? And I would say that in behind the scenes, the people who are holding the cards are saying, this is just people's curiosity. This is classified information top secret stuff that we need to build weapons and take on Russia and China and who knows who else. 
and uh, they're not going to identify they're not going to give it i mean so we've got blue book where we actually knew the shapes these they won't even tell you the shapes like what's classified about the shape of the stuff that they're getting and they're, they're basically releasing nothing blue book was way ahead of what, what we're having here and again when it comes down to the sighting stuff uh who cares to me about the sightings it says yeah something's going on uh, there's no indication that they're going to look at uh, contactees and what the contactees are being told or this book that I just put out where I've got 36 people who've flown the craft and they're all saying the same thing and 14% of people in the pre-survey said they've flown the craft and I think it's time when we get away from the sighting stuff but I think this is a black world thing where everything's going in the black world and I, 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 I admire the question when are we going to have public hearings but I think that's a long way off that they'll block that they're going to have all these hearings with Eric Davis and people, but it's all going to be behind classified behind closed doors, and we're never going to hear about it. Well, that's too bad. You know, just want to bring Caroline. You know, yeah. you have the data in your film. You, you yeah. Can, well, I, yeah. Sorry. Well, uh, yeah, I just want to say at the time when uh, actually we were in production, um, Senator Gillibrand was actually in contact with because the scientists who are in the movie are. University of Albany, New York. And so at one point uh, they were in contact with each other and I was also in the loop uh, to try to communicate with her. So she was very aware of what we were doing, the scientists, you know, going out there and doing it live. And she was very supportive. She was actually willing. I was trying to, uh, but she came in, we were already at the end of production and I had already kind of wrapped the production. I was going to interview her. Um, but at the time, like I said, she was aware and very supportive and she was saying that's what we need. And so, but um, I ended up not interviewing her at the time because um, she was going to be like the last, anyway, it wasn't going to work or match whatever. Uh, so that's what I know from her, from her angle. But what I want to say in terms of classification and stuff like that, since we, in five days, we went to this one location and we were able to capture on camera through oh, multiple devices, multiple angles, uh, triangulation, you know, hundreds of hours of data. So people say, was that luck? You know, how many people, you know, go on an expedition, then come back empty handed? Um, I don't think it's luck. I think what happened is that we happened to have proper instrumentation. Most of the stuff was captured on FLIR. The FLIR is not regular night vision infrared, it's a much larger spectrum. It's almost military scale. And so this means that you don't see it with the naked eye, but you see it through the, these devices. So we had all these devices and all this technology running 24 seven, but only in five days. And we captured uh, not only the typical orbs or whatever stuff that they see, but we we captured things that looked, that behaved exactly like the Tic Tacs. We also captured things literally falling down in the water at 50,000 miles an hour, something ridiculous. We captured things popping out of nowhere, rotating, appearing, disappearing, uh, all with the FLIR. And then uh, at the end, that big thing that we're calling a wormhole, for people who have not seen the movie, and again, to, to remind everyone, the scientists who worked in the movie are hardcore scientists. I mean, 
These aren't guys who are going to, they kept saying our reputation, our reputation, our reputation, like they're putting themselves out there. But that was a good thing because these aren't the kind of scientists who are going to look at something and say, oh, it's a UFO. Oh, it's an extraterrestrial. I mean, they were basically debunking themselves, you know, as we would capture something they'd be like, maybe it's a camera glitch. That's the first thing we look at, like people who are who say, oh, it's a camera glitch. Don't you think that's the first thing we look at? It's not a camera glitch. It's not um, a radiation effect. If it's a radiation effect, well, basically just for people who did not watch the film, it, we recorded uh, basically uh, some sort of cloud that opened and closed. It's not an atmospheric event because if it was an atmospheric event, a cloud, we calculated the speed at which it opened and closed and it was 700 miles an hour. There is no cloud that moves 700 miles. So it's not an atmospheric event. It's not, then these scientists are so like, they before they come out and say something, they check with, they work with NASA, they work with Ernie, with Fermi, with every single organization that could potentially explain, um, maybe it's a you know electromagnetic anomaly, maybe it's some sort of solar flare that's doing some weird thing. Long story short, after checking every single possible explanation, to date, there is no one, not one scientist or debunker for that matter, you know, who is able to tell us what this thing is. Then after the movie is over or was over, um, the scientist uh, also presented at SCU. There was a big conference there, 200 scientists, experts from all areas. Again, atmosphere, right? You were there. Atmospheric science, again, space science, whatever, all kinds of different uh, disciplines. And nobody can tell us. Some of it could potentially explain, some of it is like maybe water vapor, blah, blah, blah. But nothing can explain both because um, out of this cloud thing were physical objects, physical objects. And the radar picks up does not picks up uh, picks up on reflective objects objects that were measured by the way they were about 35 to 50 feet each there's about 50 of them so they, it doesn't pick up on light doesn't pick up on radiation picks up on reflective objects also we had a huge gamma burst exactly at that time all of this to say this is an anomaly uh no matter how you look at it so two points here one is that in five days, five days, we not only were able to collect hundreds of hours of data, but we collected anomalies that haven't even been seen before because we had the proper equipment. So that you can't tell me, the government can't with their radar, million dollar radar, million dollar satellite system, you know, you can't tell me they don't know how to collect data or they don't have data. Come on, we're civilians. With the proper equipment, we capture this. This is number one. The second thing, after the film was over, we we continued, the scientists continued to say, what else can we find out about this thing? What, we don't want it to be this way or that way. We just want to know what it is, right? And so, so we continue to research get to try to get more data. And so we said, let's try to get satellite images. 
So we contact every single uh, satellite image, imaging uh, uh, organization out there, private, government, you know, every little, you know, every possible potential thing. Either they didn't have it or they didn't want to give it to us. Then we file a FOIA request. We're like, now we're, they're going to have to tell us. So this is official. We get a letter back saying we are the United States government official satellite uh, recording agencies or whatever. I mean, it's in the letter. And we do have, because we, by the way, people who will watch the movie, we know exactly where that opening is. We have the size, we have the location, we have uh, the speed, we have the angle. So we know exactly how it, where it was recorded. People can watch how we figure that out in the movie. So we give that information through the FOIA request and we say, this is the date, the time, the location, blah, 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 give us the satellite images. And so long story short, they say, we do have the satellite images, but you can't have them because that particular place, that particular time and coordinates, that data is classified. Well, yeah, of course, of course, of course. But I just wanna comment that if you can get that in five days, imagine what the government actually has after 75 years. Of that's my point. That's my point. You can't. That's one of the things that this movie proved mm -hmm. that we as civilians, we I have to say we did have a huge mm -hmm. amount of equipment. And right. also the type of equipment was pretty sophisticated, you know, versus a typical person out there with the night vision. That was the idea of the movie, too. But it's still in five days, I mean, hundreds of hours, you know, so so you can't tell me as civilians, we can do it. Don't tell the government can't just can't. It's like embarrassing to say we, we don't have anything right. or no, we don't right. or the images is not clear mm. or whatever. Or we can't yeah. tell from the video. We're triangulating. We I mean. This is I, like basic science. No, I know it's obvious they're hiding some, but but Grant, before I get to you, I, I, I just want to ask Michael to comment. Um, unless you had something about that, you want a quick comment? Because I, I want to ask Michael about this to stay. I mean, if this has been going on since Wilhelm Reich and before, where, how do you feel about where we are and the progress and and the future of this, you know, interaction? With the government well you know i think there's been a little progress like when my book project mindshift came out 25 years ago the hypothesis was that the government knew a lot of things and they were i asked the question was there a, a program to gradually release you know was it an unofficial program and so with ralph blumenthal's and his colleagues article in 2017 they admitted that yeah they've known all along right so in 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 the 50s when Reich was doing his work and the government was uh, observing it, in the trial record, I, I noticed something I hadn't noticed in years of reading it, that he said the government uh, not only witnessed his experiments, but they replicated some of them. So this was, you know, uh, almost 70 years ago. So I think there's some progress. I, I, I agree, you know, with I think I agree with Grant and uh, that nothing's really going to happen in the governmental level. And I, my feelings, I don't really am not that interested in the government. You meet people like I met a, a navigator of a B-52 uh, bombers. And he said, you know, there we were flying 24 seven, ready to take out a rusty city armed to the teeth with nukes. And we saw UFOs all the time. 
and another young guy in the intelligence uh, field told me that he read my book and he, he he thought all of the stuff was BS, but he was only in the intelligence community three weeks when he had a firsthand encounter with the phenomenon. And he said, I can't tell you what it was because by the details of it, it would be obvious it was me and I'm under these very strict security things. My feeling has always been that if we could get to study the mass-free energy that Reich was describing that fills the universe, we could actually make more progress toward an understanding of this enigma. And, uh, you know, when Edgar Mitchell spoke at one of our conferences up in Rangeley, Maine, he went up to the Reich Museum and I'd interviewed Edgar and he said, oh, yes, I know about Wilhelm Reich. He has a powerful model, but we have the we have the quantum wave function and we have this, that and the other thing. But when he saw what Reich was doing, he said, I had no idea this is what he was doing. And he talked about uh, the role of uh, Reich was getting coherence out of the energy field of the planet. And that was that accounted for the effects he was achieving. And the same with Dr. Rudy Schild, the Harvard astrophysicist we work with. He saw the Reich's basic fundamental experiment that demonstrates there, this energy is a real physical energy. It's not electromagnetic in nature. And he, Rudy has recently written that, uh, that Reich's um, energy work unifies the, the quantum theory of matter with the quantum theory of consciousness. And that in, in this energy work that Reich was talking about uh, and describing scientifically, Rudy says Reich was the first scientist to demonstrate through scientific experiment, the spinning wave or helical nature of the movement of the primordial energy of the universe. And Edgar said he saw the primordial units of energy in space with the naked eye when he was traveling back and forth to the moon. So I, I feel that the more we would understand this energy, the more <clears throat> we would understand many of the observations people are making and have been making for decades, you know, about this phenomenon. Wow, thank you for that piece. That's, that's an interesting new piece, huh, Grant? Um, you had well, a, a comment about that, yeah. This idea of what the government has, I mean, I've quoted for many years, Wilbert Smith, who ran the Canadian government UFO program, November of 1950, talked to US officials and said he was told flying saucers exist. It's the most highly classified subject in the United States and the uh, and mental phenomena may be involved. The Americans aren't doing very well. So they've known basically from the word go, his son confirmed to me that his father told him on his deathbed that he'd seen the bodies, he's been shown the craft and stuff like that. So they have all this um, kind of stuff. And it, I guess it would be the idea that we are the ones we've been waiting for, that we're pushing it down the, the, the road and uh, the military is doing whatever they're doing, trying to get the, you know, all the, the data together and collect money or whatever they're doing. And, uh, but I think we're making some progress in, in terms of understanding. I had two quick questions for Caroline that I wanted to ask because we're doing, a, I'm doing a lot of research on orbs lately and I want to get your mm -hmm. opinion on, on what you got for orbs and what the scientists said about them. And the other question I had for you is, you described everything that you guys were doing there. You had this, you had this. My question is always a $64,000 question. Why did, they, why did the UFO in the Nimitz encounter drop from 80,000 feet down to sea level in seven eighths of a second? So what was the UFOs doing? 
are they showing off? Are they displaying to you? Uh, are they going for beer or like, what do you think, what do you think they're actually doing? Yeah, so uh, now I can talk about this in this group because I think that piece has to do with consciousness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I couldn't talk about it uh, with the scientists, like I said, because they were so hardcore. Like they did, you couldn't mention the C word, like, oh, consciousness, forget it. Nuts and bolts, you know, that's all we're looking at, you know. So I was, because I don't believe that's true. Uh, I mean, I think there's the consciousness component and I've had so many, my whole life, you know, experience with that. So I was doing my work myself, <laughs> you know, in my hotel room, I'd be like, okay, I'd be like focusing and summoning and, and intending and communicating because that's what I do. And those who don't want to hear it, it's their issue. Anyway, so I knew that uh, it was the first sighting was going to be July 14th. That's why I uh, scheduled the production, which, by the way, was very extensive and expensive, which I took on by myself. And so the more we got closer and closer, I was like, oh, my God, we had like major like three production crews you know all this equipment all these people and no one's ever done anything like this before like what am I doing so you know in five days like what if nothing happens you know it was all like you know thousands and thousands of dollars like down the drain so so then I'd be like uh, as we got closer I started talking to them I was like show me something like yeah. one really 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 amazing thing and I'll be happy you know and so I felt July 14th, July 14th. So, so I scheduled the production July 12th to the 16th. And sure enough, the first two days were like a wash. It was like, oh my God, the power would go up. The software wouldn't work. It was a disaster. I was like, every in production, you know, every hour is like thousands of dollars. But anyway, so my point being July 14th was the first sighting we recorded. I was like, yes. <laughs> so, so, but that one was, it wasn't an orb. I don't think it, it's the same type of orb that you're talking about. It was a, it was a round of physical object. I think the orb you're talking about are a little bit more translucent, right? So it was one of those things it ho was hovering there forever and ever. And so we captured it from different angles. And so that was great. And then I said, okay, that was awesome. But I need more. I need more. Like, you know, people are like talking about things falling down in the water and doing all this crazy stuff. Let please, like, we have to make a point of what this phenomenon is. And I feel, I mean, to be honest, I, I don't think I'm the only one, but I probably, you know, through the production, I kind of asked for it to be visual. I feel it has to do with that. And they demonstrated how this was possible. And like I said, we captured it through the infrared, through the FLIR cameras, not to the naked eye, which was very interesting. And so, so that's why, and people, by the way, can analyze the heck out of the footage because it's raw footage. We didn't manipulate it. We didn't do the only thing we did was zoom in which we would say zoom times 10 or whatever or 30 or whatever but that's not manipulating the image and so and also when we talk to scientists we give them the raw files so people can study the whole thing and they will see that these were actual objects falling down if you go frame by frame you literally see them hitting the water like hit the water and like illuminate like make a splash 
that's not a camera glitch. I've never heard of a camera glitch that has a you know physical effect. And and actually, if you look carefully, there's a couple of times where it goes up out from the water. Try that. Look, slow down the movie, and you'll see. So, so I think that uh, it, it was we really had a. I mean, again, in five days, it's mind boggling that we would have this different types of things show up the cold the objects that would show up out of nowhere that would register cold like minus 70 I can't remember you know how how can an object appear out of nowhere rotate have an actual shape you could see that it's so clear and then disappear and it's registering cold how can you be in the sky and and not you know so I mean just stuff like that I've you know so 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 that's I think it had a lot to do with consciousness and, and my, I think, collaboration. That's why, you know, if you saw my last movie, Superhuman, everything we did was live on camera. For all we know, like it's never, it's not going to work or you have to do it over and over and over. So that's why I feel like, again, I think consciousness is at the base of all of our understanding and the answer to all of our paranormal <laughs> questions you know so Thank so you. that's that and for the orbs uh we did not specifically see the orbs that you're mentioning uh we may have seen them in the files like other times that we weren't uh we, that aren't in the movie but we didn't really focus on those okay well thank you caroline if you want to talk to someone who's who, who talks to ufos every night melinda <laughs> Thank you. you know what you're what I'm talking about, right, Melinda? Yeah, oh, absolutely. You know, uh, uh, thank, thank, thank you, Alan, for the shameless plug. I appreciate it. No, it's not a plug because it's just so exciting. If anyone's yeah, yeah. watching who really wants to see stuff in the sky, go out with Melinda in Sedona with That's the right. night goggles thank and you. you'll yes. not satellite. So, Melinda, you want to talk yeah. about that? Well, and I, and I talk in the beginning all about satellites and planes so we know when we're seeing those. Yes, do we see those things? Absolutely. But then we see things that are clearly none of the above. But in, in response, two things I want to say in response to what you're saying there, Caroline, is, is yeah, first off, on our tour, we often get a sense that something is coming. I often say, hey, I'm getting a psychic hit, like you were saying, Caroline, you know, and I'll say, hey, you know, and, and it's always sometimes right away, sometimes 10 or 15 minutes out we have often something, you know, significant happen if I'm picking up on that and I don't claim to call them in or anything. They're just Sedona, the Helen, as you know, you know, they're just always here. We just look up. But the reason I'm bringing that up is to say, yeah, you know, it, it is well understood that there's this consciousness interaction as Grant was saying, he's, you know, written this book about flying the ships with, with consciousness. And, um, yeah, so so on the often my clients, you know, I'll tell them direct your consciousness, direct your thought. We use lasers for pointing stuff out, and I'll say direct it with the laser beam, you know, and ask it. And now we're asking them to flash back at us, and we do get objects doing that. Well, wait a second, we're talking something that's many tens of thousands of feet, you know, above us. Uh, for, for the most part, occasionally we get low structure craft right over us. Sure. But the majority of it is extremely high up, high, much higher up than most planes. And yet we're able to direct that consciousness and ask it to flash back at us. And so, wait, are they able to hear us? You know, well, on some level, yes. You know, yeah, exactly. They're, they're hearing us in consciousness. But 
as we're saying all this, I keep thinking back to the working group and those original notes in the original meeting in 85 amongst the advanced theoretical what, physics what, working what, group. What was the working group, Melinda? Can you just explain it? Well, um, it, it was a group of high level aerospace and engineering individuals, government insiders, guys in high tech positions, running high tech positions for major aerospace and engineering firms at the time. And, you know, Jacques Vallée wrote about it initially as, as uh, the, um, the Invisible College, you know, and then, and then it, 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 it eventually came together in this meeting in 85 under uh, Colonel John Alexander and called the, the Advanced Theoretical Physics Working Group. And then over time, now, of course, I, I'll, this is just a quick so everybody kind of understands the significance here. The Advanced Theoretical Physics Working Group became known as the Aviary, very famous in ufology lore. Um, and that was uh, researchers, Bill Moore and Jamie Chandray, who were having involvement with these guys said, so we can talk about them and we can email them about them. You know, no one else will know who we're talking about. And so they started to call them all bird names and as a group called them the aviary. And I don't know that the group ever referred to themselves in that way other than maybe in jest, you know, but Moore and Chandray were, were the ones who gave them those names so they could talk about. And then, so working group was aviary. And then it became, once they were getting uh, funding from Robert Bigelow, it became kind of loosely known as the Bigelow group until it, formed a more formal organization again called NIDS, National Institute of Discovery Science. National Institute of Discovery Science morphed into, and there was overlap. I can show projects going on under both names at the same time, morphed into BAS, Bigelow Aerospace Advanced Science Studies. And BAS begat when it got Pentagon funding, you know, so it existed as BAS. And the only reason there was a change in name again is because the Pentagon said, okay, we're giving you funding. So it's our group now and called it OSAP, Advanced Weapon Systems Applications Program. And then after OSAP, of course, that begat ATIP, which was under OSAP. We know that now from the book um, uh, Skinwalker at the Pentagon, Skinwalker's the Pentagon. And uh, so then it became ATIP and then ATIP, when that got disclosed in 2019, front page New York Times, et cetera, we all know the history of that. And then that begat to the Stars Academy and, and takes us to the present day, which still exists. Don't anyone think it's gone away? They're just doing media things because they're trying to make good on, according to Jim Samivan's own words to me, they're trying to make good on their investments. So, um, so there we are today. So we have then, and then of course, Luella Zondo with ATIP and Chris Mellon on the board for To The Stars and Gary Nolan and such kind of left To The Stars to branch out and do what we're doing now, which is their meeting with congressmen and senators and the drafting of the Gillibrand Amendment. So that takes us back to that and the, the National Defense Authorization Act. Now, I think it's so the reason I brought all that up, though, was going back to that group, their original meeting in 85 ties in to this consciousness part, because there were two things they were predominantly interested in that meeting. I mean, throughout the meeting, you look at all the notes, right? And Grant could probably comment on this with Oak's notes. There were two things that they were significantly interested in. 
One was the technology, duh, given their positions and their backgrounds, that made perfect sense. They want to know all about the technology, the propulsion, the anti-gravity, all that. The other was the consciousness part, the psi component. And they wanted to make contact using psi because really? these were also the guys it? in the room. Yeah, because these were the same guys in the remote viewing program. So they were like, okay, how can we Love manipulate it. that and use it to make contact? And so the other part was the psi, the consciousness part was their whole reason for existence. And you guys always has been. So right. it's still a big part now. Now, does the government, the structured government, or those involved in the quote, you know, cover up or or policy of non-disclosure, do they know that? Heck yeah. Have mm -hmm. they noted all along? Heck yeah. You can go back. That's one thing that these notes show is 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 that these guys were talking about this back then. They all went, you know, a, a friend of Grant and I, uh, Nicole Sackage, a lot of people in the community know, incredibly young researcher. She's gone out to now say after after that and after that original meeting, where did all these guys go into their technologies and those companies and how then did they take all the information from those meetings and take it and use it and you guys they all branched into also doing consciousness stuff and so mm -hmm. this became a part of what these technical companies were doing and so she's kind of taken that aspect and gone further with it my hat's off to her and it'll be interesting to see what she finds but i just wanted to say it it, it all comes back yes it's all part of the consciousness absolutely that's that's what we're all getting at. But I also want you mentioned uh, Gary Nolan and um, Ozzy. Do you want to talk about your work with Gary Nolan and talk about the? Can you mention the orb that you working with? I, yeah. Okay. Well, I work with a group called the Orb Research Bureau. Um, uh, basically, we are doing a lot of very interesting things. We have an app that's going to be uh, getting upgraded soon. And we do, yes, we are working with uh, Professor Nolan um, and uh, we will be having more to say about this uh, in the summer. But you have an orb. What is it going to do? What is, it, what is the app going to do? Well, it's, a, it's an AI-assisted app. It's going to help us to uh, determine what is a UFO, what is a mundane thing, th things like that. Uh, amongst other stuff, we're going to be... Uh, we're doing some interesting stuff with but that. But don't you uh, have it? Don't you have an orb in, uh, or isn't there one around? There's analysis that is being done. Yes. But there's one in the possession. It's an actual orb. Is yes. That, can I ask? Is that, is that the Bates ball? No, it isn't. What do you mean a physical orb? Like this? Oh, we call them spheres. Oh, wait, Melinda. Right, just, what, what, what does it mean? What do? What does it mean? They have a physical sphere. In their exactly, possession. Exactly that. There's a ball. Yeah, this is this <laughs> so. is what I want to jump in on this exact discussion. You guys, orbs has become well, unfortunately and it's don't anybody bug, bucket this. Yeah, yeah, exactly, Carolyn. It's become such a catch-all term to mean many yeah. things. That's there are exactly sightings we... that are objects way up in the sky right. that are too far away to see the structure of them. You're not seeing hard edge you know, structure. You're seeing something reflecting probably sunlight over the horizon, um, mm -hmm. you know, even though it's nighttime, or if you're seeing it during the day, it's definitely reflecting light. So you can see something that is lit up, but you're not seeing the structure of it. That is, but that is still a structured object reflecting light. We see this every night 
in the, you know, 10s, 20s, 30s, 40s on my tour. Okay, now, that's the same reason you see satellites is they're reflecting sunlight, okay? So, but then you can get a consciousness or spirit energy emanating light that is the orbs, I think, Grant, that you've written more about right. and, and what is traditionally seen, exactly. So I think it's really, I, I think it's, when you use the term orb, you have to start clarifying because it's it's so misunderstood. There's a spiritual thing that's orbs and yes. a consciousness thing. And then there's physical craft that are maybe so too far orb. away or too yes. small to see yes. the structure of it. Yes. And, and that's I think what that's I was terrifying. asking about, which one yeah. is it that you're talking about? Because you said in their I, possession. That, that's why I make the, the, the difference between a, uh, an orb and a sphere, because orbs sphere. are loaded. And like well, sphere has, like, tends to mean something round and ball yeah, shaped. Yeah, when yeah, these yeah, may be too far away to know the shape, not, you're I'm just seeing something I'm reflecting talking, light I'm not, or yeah, I'm emanating I'm, a plasma I'm field. Talking, I'm not talking about like like you know a, some type of like ball of plasma. I'm talking about a physical metal physical sphere. Form. Yeah. Which yeah, is like, what? Which is what? Okay. Uh, let, well, let me explain it, a little bit what I know. Like Grant explain. Let me explain a little bit what what they've got. What, what happened in the 1970s is the, the National Enquirer put up a million dollar reward for proof of an extraterrestrial uh, ET. So they found this ball in Florida. It's a seamless ball. There's no seams in it. And they would put it on top of the TV and the thing would roll around on the TV and it would go on the floor. And it just had it, it would do stuff on its own. And so they brought it into the National Enquirer and, and apparently it's still, it's still there. They, 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 they analyzed it and they knew, knew something was inside it, but it's completely seamless. And I think that's what they have as well. They have one of these, it's a steel, like a steel ball, what, big, bigger than a, the big bowling ball. But can this you thing show the video? move around on Ozzie, its own. Can you show the video? Do you have the video of that? You can no. show? Okay, never mind. Yeah. So it's more a sphere than an orb. It's like a sphere. It's like a small, seamless ball, but it's, it's maybe this big. It's pre pretty big. So they have a lot more than that in their possession, the government, but that's one thing that's uh, Gary Nolan. Well, is actually the National Enquirer has the one in possession. You guys have one in your possession. And there um, may be more of these. And that's the question. Did they drop one of these things for us to pick up and try to figure? That's what I say about the metals. I say there's no way that a, that a UFO comes across the, you know, the galaxy, avoiding black holes and stars and planets and stuff. And it gets here and pieces start falling off. It. They're, they're dropping these things on purpose. And this sphere may be the same thing. It's one of these things that we've been gifted in fact they, they refer to it like tim taylor calls it the gifting field and uh all, all these people and jacques valet said he sort of came up with the idea that they're gifting this stuff that these crashes and stuff this is not happening accidental this is actually happening on purpose yeah no, Mike, what do you think of, um you know advanced technology what what because i think if if reich was allowed to do his experiments we'd be much further along well, we would definitely be much further along. And, uh, but you know, this, there's so many levels of why he wasn't allowed to do it. And it's not just, um, there's the whole characterological level of it. And uh, do you guys remember the book, uh, Charles Berlitz, the Roswell, uh, incident, I can't remember, the Roswell incident. Roswell incident. incident. Yeah. In there, in there, there's a story where a friend of Eisenhower goes to, I think, Murak Air Force Base. Yeah, yeah. And the people there, they have a crash disc and it's in a hangar and they're studying it. And this, this emissary from Eisenhower goes in and it's complete chaos and pandemonium. And he writes back to the president, the people who went into that area, their world ended 
with a suddenness and finality that they just could not handle emotionally. And these were the people who were prepared. These were the engineers and scientists and philosophers and thinkers who wanted to be the people who would have a direct encounter with the phenomenon. And I think most of humanity, 98% of humanity, would still be have that reaction today. I think, you know, there's, there's been some progress made, but uh, when I did my book, I interviewed a man named Michael Lindemann. Oh, yeah. And and he's a, he said about himself, he said, you know, I think I want to meet a being. I would love it to meet a being. But if one of them appeared in front of me right now, I'd probably pee in my pants, you know? And so it's a serious thing. It isn't just fear. It's that we all have a worldview. And our world gives us equilibrium and stability and helps us make sense in the chaos of the world. And if it ends or is disrupted too deeply, too suddenly, it's, you know, we we fall apart. And then people, some people react to falling apart with violence. And so I, I think there's a, a good reason why human beings are learning slowly about this phenomenon over uh generations you know and and we we can't assume we're kind of a self-selected group you know but it's i mentioned it to people forgetting that and it scares them you know like to invite them to come to our conference and it's 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 frightening to them and it's scary you know one time you were talking about uh it was years ago and i was in my apartment uptown and I saw two lights in the sky out the window. I thought it was like Venus and something. About 40 minutes later, they were still there. So I realized they weren't planets. So in, in my own little sense of humor, I went to the window and said, if there's any intelligent beings in those lights, would you answer this question? Is this an experiment? And the answer instantaneously came back, yes, but not in the way you think it is. And I thought, I think it's an experiment. <laughs> Do I really? That's what I think. I think it's an experiment. But other people could have a experience like that, and it would frighten them, and it would lead to some pretty negative kind of uh, reactions socially. That's what we're having. I think, one second, Melinda. The more this is talked about, the more the government says, well, yeah, maybe there is something. The less frightening, the less surprised, the more we're prepared for the truth, which is that we're part of a bigger reality. That's my feeling. So we have to put, we have to push the government. We have to push each other to come out, make films like Carolyn and go out and seize ships with Melinda. So yeah, Melinda, what were you saying? Well, I was just going to say, I think that's, you know, everyone in the field gets frustrated at not being disclosure, going slowly, and now these amendments passing and everything. From what I'm hearing, it sounds like at least senators and, and House representatives, congressmen, are trying to ease us into this in a certain way. Now, there, you could argue, oh, that's good or that's bad or whatever, but... I think part of Michael, because I think in general, you're right. Now I can also say this from so many people I take out of my tours every night. I mean, you guys, I've had easily 30 or 40,000 people in the 12 years I've been doing it, probably over 40 easily. Um, and I can say that if that's a sampling of the public, the public 
wants to know and is ready. And now, granted, you're getting a sampling of the public that are coming to Sedona. Alan, as you well know, you know, we're, and, and Carolyn and stuff, we're known for spirituality and metaphysics and whatnot. So you, people come here 10, not everyone, but a high percentage of probably 80% of the people tend to be very open to, to new age thought, to consciousness studies and, and whatnot. So, so, but that crowd, I can say, is definitely ready. They want to know, you know, they're, they're open to it. Now, it could be the reason we're getting this so slowly is the government's not responding, obviously, to ufology or even to the new age consciousness community. The government is responding to the rest of the U.S., you know, and a little bit responsible towards the world's reaction towards this is my guess. And so we're getting this very slow deliberate kind of disclosure uh, and it's frustrating because we all wanted to speed up but i think it's happening for the reasons you just said now can i just interrupt like, one second and say the beings also play true. a role That's in true. the uh pace well there's i can tell you from like two or so they're showing up all the time you know i mean well, i know so, but the pace of it you know i did a, a talk where I looked at the last 70 years, decade by decade, and what what was learned and what we saw and how we progressed and so forth. And you it's like it's like a, a school. It's like a, a a class. It's like a course. And you get a little bit and then you're allowed to integrate it. And then, then after you integrate it, you can move on to the next step. So I think it's not just the humans. I think it's also the the uh, intelligences themselves yeah, that's well, what and I, maybe there's something to be said for that because they're showing up but they're not landing everywhere yeah, they're, they're not getting be... out and interacting with everyone and yeah, you know they're... my clients always say that why aren't they you know why aren't they landing why aren't they getting out and and i think you just made the case for that it's, well, it's that they're approaching us in a slow way where they're making it something we can adjust to I think you're right. Well, no, there has to be a uh, some type of duality with that, like uh, 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 some type of they're they're involved in some type of decision making with that because there's some people that are really into this stuff, love it and don't really have much going on. There's other people that really want nothing to do with it and have this stuff falling on them like constantly, you well, know. Like, I think Grant has been looking at that particular aspect of the phenomenon. Go ahead, Grant. We we yeah, we talked about this yesterday, and I I, I say this thing with what Michael brought up that, that we think we're ready, but I know I had the one experience in 1976 where we were chasing this thing around. It would go so slow. You could actually chase with a car. And then suddenly it turned around and came and it's right on top of the car. I was never so scared in my life. It was like, unbelievable. <laughs> I just, I, I couldn't believe how scared I was. But the point I was making to you yesterday, Alan, is I say, we, we are in a mentality. I say, can you actually tell me for sure that you believe that reptilians Grays and mantids could walk down the street of America. Would they be allowed to emigrate into the United States and build businesses where they're going to build cars and they're going to, uh, uh, you know, build a factory and they're going to have free energy and they don't pay their workers, they don't get paid, and they have a technology that's a thousand years advanced that can build a car for a hundred dollars and it's super advanced? Are we going to allow this? And that's where I say what the fear that I see going on in this this thing with Congress is that it's the guys, the military-industrial complex 
who are, we want this stuff all gathered, but we're going to collect it and it's all going to be classified. And it was the threat scenario. And I can tell you, I was in the negotiations between the Canadians and the Americans and Lou Alexander was there and Chris Mellon was there. And we were at the Canadian side was trying to, the government people were trying to explain to them. We had 10 MPs ready to come forward and we were going to have a panel. They said, no, we're not going to turn this into a spectacle. And we, we were trying to explain to them that we, we don't work the same as the United States. We don't have these committees that have money and they can order stuff and, and do whatever they want. Everything is run by the prime minister and it runs from there down and they just couldn't get it. And at one point, uh, the Canadians made it very clear, we are not going to do the fear thing. We are not going to do the military thing. They want us to get military witnesses and say, oh, it's a threat to the military. They're in our airspace and all this kind of stuff. And we say, we haven't got any of those kind of reports. We don't want to go there. Uh, we're not into that. The Canadians want to do a scientific investigation. And at that point, Chris Mellon said, that's the poison pill. I'm gone. And it was over. And that was the whole deal. And that's what I say, what you got to be afraid of is that behind the scenes, the military industrial complex is gathering all this material. They're getting everybody to report stuff to them and they're going to spin this thing as a threat. So Eric Walker asked us the question and he was the, the head president yeah. of Penn State University, 14 honorary doctorate degrees uh, on the, the defense science board, the chairman of the board of the Institute for Defense Analysis, top military think tank. And he said to us at one point, he said, you, why should we change the rules to satisfy your curiosity? And if you figure it out, what are you going to do with it? And that's the question is, yeah, everybody wants to admit, yeah, they're here. But when it comes down to them walking around in the streets, I'll guarantee you, I had a discussion with Art Bell and Art Bell said to me, he said, I'll shoot them as they come off the ship. Yeah, it's exactly. the mentality of separation that's going on. There's no way these people could walk down the street and integrate at this point. We're way far away from that. We're into this thing about you versus me. We can't accept Mexicans or anybody that's not, uh, you know, looking like us. And the greys, they would absolutely, every time they turn around, somebody try to shoot them. They were way wanted, far away from that. Yeah, I, that's, I mean, I don't think it's like the whole mass hysteria, whatever that they're feeding us. I think it's what you just said, Grant. Like that's a typical, the average typical person. An intruder shows up at your door, you shoot them. So imagine something that looks <laughs> like yeah. non-human. That's the typical human reaction. I don't know what this thing is. You know, it's it's going to attack me or whatever. So that's, I think, one of the reasons why they're not, you know, kind of showing up from their perspective. Well, no, like there's, there's issues. Like, I, I mean, could you imagine what, uh, like, like this will do the, to the gun control debate? How many yeah, people exactly. that are super pro-gun control yeah. that will start... Oh, yeah trying to buy illegal weapons for themselves personally. Oh, they'll go yeah, nuts. exactly. They'll go nuts. You guys, oh I, it's interesting yeah. as you guys are saying this, I, I, as we're having this discussion right now about this fear stuff, I keep reflecting back to my Milab's research and the, the abductees who are having covert human involvement and get picked up by these covert human guys actually managing this subject on those deepest levels. Those guys want to know from the experiencers, from the abduct, well, say abductees to clarify, they want to know, like, how are you able to interact with the ETs? What is it about you? How have you adapted to it? How do you communicate with them? Have it, has it enhanced your psi abilities? But it gets down to, they're trying to learn how to interact with these beings, Grant, because of what you just said, to say, how have we adapted? How, how are we interacting with them? And that's one thing that comes up in, you guys, I've worked with well over 100, probably 200 Milab cases now, and they all say that when they get the interrogation stuff and the questioning, they get asked about that. 
they really want to understand that and get a handle on it because i think you're right grant that's where the rubber meets the road that scares them and because it is so consciousness oriented as we were just saying that that empowerment i think scares them that it, it requires us to act on that level to act in that consciousness way and and so i think that's part of the difficulty here but so they're starting with something again this is disclosure panel they're starting with something very very simple which is sightings because at least people can start to wrap their head around it i get it i think i get why they're going at it that way it, it's painfully slow but i think i understand again disclosure is not for us it's for everybody else that was what Bud Hopkins said in a conversation I had. We have to start with establishing something's there. We have to say, oh, yeah, it's out there. But on the other end of it, I think I can safely say perhaps all of us on this panel are experiencers. And we are so excited about the fact that this is real. We know it. We've seen it. And why? it's like we're the crazy people. Why isn't everyone excited? like this because but there's like you know it's like the catholic church putting galileo in jail because he said you know there's there's rings around uh, saturn or something we're we're being denied a very essential truth of our own experience and i think that's why we're so passionate i know ozzy's a lifelong experiencer i'm sure everyone else uh, we've all had and even me, what Michael said about that story, I was out there with a group of people in the mountains of, of Berkshire, of Berkshire Mountains, and we're calling in a craft. And then something showed up, flying low, it was very silent, it was big, it wasn't an airplane, it wasn't flashing. And I said, is that really? I, I couldn't believe it was there. I mean, it's like, there it was. And I said, wow, is that really what I think it is? Like there's still this old programming, not a fear, but like, really? Do these things really, are these things real? And this is the science fiction conditioning. It's like the world is not science fiction. It's a reality. And we have to just move away from the programming of fear and conditioning. Because still, when we talk about this to other people, People saying, oh, yeah, you're making up a story. It must be science fiction. You've seen too many movies. Grant, were you going to say something about that? Uh, yeah, well, just the, the point that the other thing I think that that's a problem is the consciousness that when you look at the thing with the with where I do the uh, UFO sky pilots, when the people start talking about using the craft where they can go 70,000 miles, it's light years in one second, and they, they tell you it's within yourself, it's the whole thing. Uh, you, you think yourself as a puny form with, within you, the entire use is enfolded. Or Jim Semivan saying, there does not appear to be any there there. And here's a guy who had the actual encounter with the beings in his room. And it's this whole idea of, is this a simulated universe? Is this a, a video game? Are, are they telling us, they explaining to us slowly that this is all within us, that there is no time and space. And it's all these kind of things that are just so far beyond anybody's belief system that they're just not going to accept it. Like the idea with the idea that with the people describe inside the ship, when they go inside the ship and it's the size of a football stadium inside the ship and they look outside and it's a little tiny craft, they look inside, it's this huge thing. And then you, you get that kind of stuff that it's so far beyond. And it's the idea that the world is not the way you think it is. That's why I say, I think it's a thousand times more complex. And it's like when Chris Bledsoe said, 
he talked to the, all these military people and, and uh, Tim Taylor from NASA and all these different people coming to him. And he said, yeah. why, why, are you, why are you coming to me? Why, why, you've got to, why do you guys always come to me? And he said, well, it appears you've got <clears throat> some sort of contact. And, and we're trying to figure it out because they don't seem to want to talk to us. Mm-hmm. And, and so he's, he's got this, this idea where he, he's got this contact, but they can't figure it out. They've got a craft. They can't fly it. And, and this idea where you can make things bigger, they can make the ship as big as they want inside. And it's just so far beyond. You've got to go to this video game idea that it's the Maya. There may not be any time and space. It may all be here inside of us. And it's way more complex than we think. Almost Jim Simeon summed it up. There does not appear to be any there there. This seems to be something on the level of consciousness or multi-dimensions. And there's a guy who got the briefing, he got the UFO briefing. He seems to know he's one of the inside guys. And that's where I think it's going. It's just so far beyond what anybody can ever imagine what's actually going on. It's really not nuts and bolts. It may not even be aliens. It may be, you know, some sort of thing. And it's just it's this huge yeah, no, video But game. I think it's it's not an either or. It's not either nuts that's or right. bolts or consciousness. It, there's that's some right. we're not understanding about right. consciousness because- Alan, Alan, I'd like to just jump in with this and say, because our way, our worldview is really a mechanistic, metaphysical way of approaching the world, mm-hmm. and it's inadequate. This phenomenon can't be understood, I feel, through the tools of mechanistic science, but it can't be understood either through the purely subjective metaphysical approaches that we've developed over thousands of years. And that's why it's remained an enigma. And one of the things that attracted me so much when I was young to Wilhelm Wilhelm Reich's work, and then when I saw that he was involved in studying the UFO phenomenon, was that he left the metaphysical mechanistic worldview, and he came to what he called energetic functionalism as a way of approaching this. And he was able to escape that dichotomy of it looks physical, but it looks spiritual. It looks objective, but it looks subjective. And that if you get into this uh, way of observing things, you see the same thing, but you don't interpret it in the false way. It's like uh, 400 years ago when people believed that the, the planets moved in perfect circles. Their observations of the movement in the sky were correct, but their interpretation was wrong because they believed it was a perfect circle. So when Kepler came to understand that the planets moved in an ellipse, Mm-hmm. then the planet's movements became understandable. The observations were always correct. It was the interpretation of the facts through the worldview that caused people trouble. And we're in this meta- we're in this mechanistic metaphysical worldview, but this is not a metaphysical mechanistic phenomenon. And so it has remained an enigma. And it, but you can't just you can't just jump into this other worldview because it involves your whole character structure. It's not an intellectual construct, and so it, it takes time to emotionally change and to feel the energy moving in your body, and then feel that energetic resonance with the phenomenon. And Edgar and Mitchell and Rudy and I and Trish we would have these conversations of how maybe the quantum hologram, which is not a hologram, uh, like a computer simulation kind of thing. It's, it's, it's the energy that we're emitting 
and the energy that we're absorbing and the energetic, the physical energetic connection with the phenomenon and the information that is contained in the energy we give out and the information that's contained in the energy that we perceive. And, but, but it's not, we use the word psychic because we don't have enough knowledge about this new right. way that Rudy and Edgar were describing the quantum hologram. But I'm sure everyone here, you're walking along and you realize, oh my God, and you look up and there's a craft because you're in an energetic resonance right. with it. And you're getting information and you're giving information, but it takes time to overcome the uh, harm that's done to us in our, our child rearing and our growing up in this culture, and particularly the Western culture, to be able to, you know, reach that state and be open to it. Thank you, Michael. That was really great. I also have to say, John Mack had anticipated this when he said we need another way of knowing. <laughs> right. Objective. And I want to just go to Ozzy for a second, after, uh, after Ozzy, Melinda, because he's had a lifetime of experiences and you are now passionate about disclosure. Can you talk about your process um, a little bit? Um, gosh, uh, long, long, many long stories. Uh, I got into this very early. I had uh, I was a part of the Hudson Valley sightings as a boy, with my mom, and uh, yeah, we had uh, a, a CE three basically on the roof of our building. Uh, yeah, and this at that time I didn't know that my mother and my grandmother were a part of a satellite group that was attached to Sixto Paz's organization. Oh, Sixto well. Paz. Yeah, and my mother was always involved in theosophy. She used to uh, uh, work with a guy named Benjamin Cream, who some of you may have heard of before. Uh, you know, I lived my entire life three blocks from the uh, Nicholas uh, Rorick Center. Like I've always had a lot of mm. like, a lot of weird things. Like I had well, my mother had mother and I had the sighting uh, on the roof, and I was always a space minded kid and a technology minded kid. I love space. Uh, loved aliens, but I wasn't into science fiction. I was into like hard science and things like that. And uh, had this experience. And um, my mother had tons of UFO books hidden in a closet. And they were never around when uh, when I was growing. Like you know, I was still very young, seven. And uh, basically, my mother gave me access to those books because I was just like like I had to know more about this. And um, from there, like, it's been a bunch of, I've had a lot of experiences. I've had uh, perhaps why, more than. Why are you pushing for just, why is disclosure so important to you? Because it's important to me because it validates my experience, but why is it important to you? This is the most important thing that's ever going to happen on so <laughs> many levels. Uh, I've known that since I was a boy. Like that was just, from that day, it was plain to me as a child. And I've always carried that with me even like while trying to run screaming from the subject you know which grant is correct there's none none of that there's no leaving this um i you know i i i accept and i'm i am grateful that i uh get to uh, be a part of this at whatever level i can be in uh this is super important and uh honestly it's a uh, we all do things with our lives this is a great thing to do you know uh to try to help this effort uh I see a lot of important things getting done that aren't being done because 
once we get this done uh, happening for us, I think that, uh, um, I mean, there's, there's all these reasons you all, like you are the same type of people, you know, uh, you, like, if you're here, you understand that, you know, that at least that much, you know, that's what I feel about the experiences pushing the movement. When Caroline, I did the interview with her from my book, she talked about her five years old and these beings appeared. And... Oh no. Like I can, I can honestly tell you that like I've had been going through a lot of reflection lately. And I guess like I said, I've been in, in UFOs forever. I was, the youngest member of space uh, support program for abductee contactee encounters, uh, Harold England's group back in the nineties, uh, back when I was 13. In fact, I met Grant uh, at a, at a Virginia beach MUFON thing, <laughs> like way back deep in the nineties, like, like, like epic, like long time ago. Um, and uh, like, you know, and basically I was a part of, a, I was the subject of an MTV special. I think it's still the only UFO special that MTV ever did uh, back when I was 19. And um, yeah. I basically, I can I can say this though, that there are experiences that I've had years ago, particularly like a bunch that happened in 2007, which had directly impacted my life in the last year. And has led me to all sorts of things that I am currently involved in quite by accident. You know, that's why I think it's a passion for us because we know it's real. And maybe that's why Kristen Gillibrand, she might be an experience. Or an, and uh, I will, Carolyn, talk about your passion for this subject, because like you have really put a lot of time, money and great creative projects into showing people this is a reality. Yeah, I mean, uh, I've had experiences since I was five. I told the story several times, but just in brief, uh, at five years old, I had, uh, I could see those beings appeared to me and I, I realized that I could see them, hear them, understand them. I, I could see also the subtle energy, basically the space between me and them, like the fabric of space itself. I could like see everything. And I saw how tele telepathy worked. So at a very young age, this experience stayed with me. And I also saw that I was like in physical form here, but I continued, like my lineage continued through these beings. So it was very profound experience. Of course, I'm five years old. I didn't have all the explanation at the time, but what that did was kind of stayed in my consciousness and got me to ask the question, how does it all work? Like, how did this happen? Like, this is the physical world, but then there's this other part, you know, where you see beings, you hear things and so on and so forth. So I got into the field of consciousness for a very long time, but I kept having all sorts of experiences. The first thing I did was uh, create methodologies to make sure that I was discerning correctly the truth, that it wasn't me. I wasn't projecting something. I wasn't inventing something. I wasn't hoping for something. And so but then I would see beings that I had no reference, like a point of reference for. And then those types of things kind of continued to prove to me that I was interacting with another world. So for me, having those experiences my whole life and having validation after validation after validation, when you have a craft and then you say, this is pretty recent, actually. And then you communicate with them and you say, 
well, if you are what I think you are, then show me something. Then they start to split from four, um, you know, lights to six, then to eight. Okay, well, if you can hear me, then show me something else. I start walking, you know, one mile, half a mile in one direction, and these things are like following me. I mean, you know, this cause and effect thing happening in real time over and over, that sort of stuff. It's like, enough. I know this is real. So this is my personal truth, you know, and for so many people working with hundreds of people doing regression, you know, struggling with the fact that they know it's true, but the outside world is telling them it's not, it's not real, blah, blah, blah. So that's the first point. The second thing that's really important to me is uh, bringing the truth in general, no matter what the subject is, because that's what's going to free humanity from the bondage, you know, being slaves to somebody else's belief system, you know, so that's, that's another very important thing for me, the freedom to have the direct connection communication with the universe, with source, with this other world, because that's what I had. And I feel every human being has the birthright to have that this direct interaction and live at that level of freedom. So that's that's the second point. And the third point, uh, so I feel like the you know the truth has to come out. And the third point is um, I feel the the key, the extraterrestrial, that whole, world of ufos technology fabric of space-time are we talking about quantum mechanics or wormholes or whatever i feel that this is also in a more practical ways guiding leading us to the technology of free energy and for, and communication uh and and that's why it's being kept a secret because the minute you give free energy to humanity. That's another form of freedom. We don't need big pharma. We don't need the oil company. We don't need anybody. You see, you bring that energy directly from the cosmos. You convert it into energy to fuel this and that. I know this technology exists. I know how it works on, in other worlds. And so that's another reason why I feel this. it's so important. I'm going to do anything I can. I'm going to keep talking about it, no matter what anybody says. I'm going to keep sharing. I'm going to spend all my money, you know, go and get data. I mean, that's what I'm doing. Uh, that's what I'm doing. I'm putting my own savings, my own time, my own life out there, you know, getting real data, real footage, real, you know. So stop the BS. Don't tell me the data is not there. Boom, here it is. So that's what I'm saying. So I, I, I'm trying to take charge and do everything I can personally to bring that truth. So I think you feel a little bit of the passion, don't you? <laughs> Beautiful, and thank you. Obviously, whatever's there is not filling up their gas tank to get here, so there is free energy. Of course, of, it's ridiculous. Like you think, you really think that, you know, they have a propulsion system like, oh, let's make the engine stronger and stronger. First, we'll get to the moon, then we'll get to Mars. Then after like hundreds and hundreds of years, maybe we'll get, it's ridiculous. It doesn't make any sense. We will never get to any other planet, like ever, ever, ever. Like it's just so retarded. Sorry. I agree. But the, that, thank you, because, yeah, Newtonian physics is 400 years old. We need a new propulsion or whatever, but the question, the question I just want to ask, and you could jump in first, is 
are we, us, our passion, because all of us have it, we've been doing it for years, are we an extension of the phenomena? Are we the foot soldiers of the phenomena? It's like, are we? Yeah. Yes, yes, yeah. hello. Yeah. Anything you can think of, each one of us has their own angle of the truth. That's what I'm saying. We all have to be out there. That. Yeah, Miss no, until about a year ago, I would have been like, uh, kind of like, yeah, these things happen. I try to do what I can. There's not much I can do about it. Now it's like, yeah, no, this has all happened. And for some wow. reason I'm doing what I'm doing. For some reason, because you're an exception. We are, we are the disclosure. Yeah. It's, we are the disclosure. There's no other hope. I mean, honestly. Yeah, Grant, yes, jump in. Yeah. Well, like I'm a big Michael Newton. So I always see things in terms of Michael Newton, 7,000 regressions of life between life where we all choose. And that was the oh, whole thing go. I asked about the whole thing about soul contract and the connection between the beings. Uh, are we part of this whole phenomena? And I asked Mary Rodwell, if you regress everybody back to birth, how many will say this? They agreed to be an abductee. And she said, hundred percent. And then I asked Kathy Martin and Kathy Martin said, I was wondering about that. So I had myself regressed and I heard the words come out of my mouth. I agreed to this. So I see it that way that we, we it really doesn't matter what anybody else is doing. It, it's the, uh, if you accept the fact that we have multiple lives, when we leave this life, it's going to become a dream. And in the, in the life after that, it's going to become a forgotten dream. And all we are is we are learning. So we are coming in here and we have agreed to come in at this time, this place. I believe this whole thing about the three waves that we we're coming in, we've got a, a purpose to do. And that's why we get so excited when it, when it happens. Cause it's almost like we see, Oh yeah, I remember now. And, and you get a spark by it. And it's like Bashar says, you live to your highest uh, excitement and you'll always make the right decision just what what excites you and we go through it and in the end they're going to ask us how to work out because I believe we all came in to do something in this field to move this ball down the field and it really doesn't matter what anybody else is doing or what they're not doing they're only going to ask us one question is how did it work out because we planned the whole thing we planned who we're going to meet up with what we're going to do and as Newton said all 7,000 people said the same thing Oh, I could have done better. I forgot this. I was going to do that, but I got scared. And, and so it's, it's, it's up to us to do what we're doing. And I always, and Alan knows, I always go to this. We are in the Super Bowl of all stories. It's the biggest story of all time. And we got lucky enough to play in the game. Most people don't even know there's a game. They're outside the state and they don't even know. We're in this the Super Bowl of all stories. And we should respect the fact that we got to play in this game and that we may have some important role to do and just figure out what, what excites us about this field and just do it. And that's, that's what we came to do and quit worrying about, you know, is it going to happen? When's it going to happen? Because it's, it comes down to you and I, what we are learning from the system. It, life goes on forever. It's endless, endless, endless. And we're just learning these lessons. It may take 10,000 years, but it comes down to what did we learn while we were in the process? It doesn't matter. It's, the, it's learning while the process is going on, not the end you know, because that's what a Western society is. We want to see the end. We, we you know, we're, we, we want we, everything we want it now, now we want it yesterday. And we have to forget about that and realize we are on a journey and that we have something to do and, and basically do it. And then just one point about the free energy, because I had always, I always bring this up is the fact that everything is, there is no, everything is free energy. Uh, hydro's free, uh, high, nuclear is free. It's all free, but it's building the system. And that's what I say the black ops is trying to do is you're going to need a system to distribute the free energy. And that's what they're trying to control. It's going to be the same thing. It's going to be like the oil companies. They own the oil companies. They own the nuclear power plants. And they're going to own the free energy equipment that will give us this free energy and charge us for it. 
And that's what's going on behind the scenes that there's a lot of money in this. Uh, people may know the fact that Tim Taylor had this invention. He, he got in the middle of the night. And according to what I heard, he sold the company that that, that invention was part of on NASDAQ for $100 million. There's a lot of money in this. There's a lot of people in behind the scenes who are looking for patents. They're not gonna put anything out when they can get a patent on this kind of stuff. And, uh, but it, it doesn't really matter what they're doing, whether it's right or wrong. It's uh, always a self-reflective thing. Why did I come into the world? Uh, and what am I doing? Am I doing it? And you can feel good about the, the question when you get asked, how did it work out? Because you say, I tried my best, I did my best. And that's it. That's all you can do. Thank you, Grant, for what you're doing. Melinda, um, you were also in the beginning of the show, you brought up the Wilson document, and the Osborne. Can you finish those thoughts about um, what's going on with that? And, and wait, we can't hear you. Oh. Melinda. Um, but and then we'll wrap up and people can kind of give a little. Sure. I can't hear you right now. Your sound, no. It disappeared, Melinda. Uh, uh, come back to you. I, uh, I can quickly ask that, answer one question because I worked on these as well. The important thing- Can you hear me now? Yeah, now go ahead. Okay, okay, sorry. I guess I had self-muted by cord thing, <laughs> not realizing I had. Just finish that statement about those revelations you had mentioned and all that, you know. Me? Yeah, you mentioned the Osborne and the... Uh, oh, no, 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 Wilson Davis document. No, but there and was Shannon. Okay, oh, Shannon. Okay, Shannon. Okay, and Jack Haug. Um, yeah. uh, it's a complicated thing, so it's hard to get into in, in a brief way. Um, the, the Wilson Davis notes get into... Um, it's a conversation between doctor, uh, scientist, doctor, uh, uh, Eric Davis, Eric Davis. Thank you. Sorry. I'm just <laughs> freezing up for a moment. Eric Davis and Admiral Wilson. Okay. When that happened, uh, NIDS National Institute of Discovery Science had basically sent Eric and the one making the connection to the Admiral who knew the Admiral and said, you should talk to, to Eric. Okay. Was Oak Shannon. So I'm oversimplifying, but it's a very difficult thing to get Grant into. But um, documents, Grant, but that okay. But the, okay, okay. The significance of this document is well. The document's really just meeting notes that uh, Eric Davis took. But the significance is it gets into that there were crash retrievals and a reverse engineering program and the government physical craft in, in their possession. Oh, it says my internet is unstable. Can you guys hear me? Am I freezing up? Yeah. You okay, you can stable. hear me? You okay. pretty stable. Okay, froze, froze up for a minute. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Bad, bad time for that to happen. Okay. okay. So, so, okay, as long as you can hear me now. So the, um, it, it, that's what the meeting was about, that the Admiral had gone looking Long story behind that, it was a meeting with Dr. Stephen Greer and others, um, the late Dr. Edgar Mitchell and uh, Will Miller and others that 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 had had this meeting with the Admiral that caused him to and, and had kind of Greer had briefed him, if you will, on what was likely going on with a reverse engineering program and that going into private hands. 
so at the time, Admiral Wilson was um, second in command of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. So it was a matter of him going, okay, what is going on here? And he had questions. So he went digging and he found some information. Now he was, his hands were slapped and he was scared away from the program and said, look, you're gonna lose a star. You're gonna lose your promotion to the head of the Joint Chiefs and your promotions, et cetera. And so you're, this, is, this is going to reflect badly on you. And so he left it alone, but he had, but he had, had conversations with Oak Shannon about it. And, and eventually, and apparently years before this meeting had happened, three years is my understanding, is that right, Grant, that Oak Shannon had said, talk to Eric Davis. But he waited, the Admiral, for whatever reason, probably till he felt safer about doing so. And he was, but he had looked into it and he had gone to one of the aerospace companies because he had asked people under him running the SAP, Special Access Programs, and said, is this true? Is, is there this government money going to this reverse engineering? And are the have, have there been crash retrievals that have gone into private industry? And they said, ask these guys, okay? And these guys were one of the major aerospace companies. While the Wilson Davis notes don't say who that was, everybody is fairly certain it means uh, Lockheed. So that's kind of the general consensus. But he goes to the heads of this program and they basically say, you don't have the authority to know. This is a corporate uh, owned secret and therefore you don't have this authority to know. You're not on the what's called a bigot list, the list of people you know, who get to know about this. And so they sent him away. He was very upset. So again, well, not only upset, but he's like a big you know, guy in the military. And no, what? he said, it's my position to know. This yeah. is under my authority. Yeah. And so so he said, what do you what do you mean? You know, and so it, it is being upset and is sharing that with Oak and probably with Dr. Mitchell. Um, long story short is is NIDS then who Oak was part of the original working group. So that's how he knew all those individuals. And Dr. Edgar Mitchell was on the uh, science advisory board as well as others at the time Jacques Vallée and I think we're going to get some of this coming out in Jacques Vallée's, Vallée's new uh, book getting into that time period that's a whole nother story but so meanwhile Eric meets with the admiral the admiral's very upset shares all this with him Eric whether records it or takes notes we think he probably recorded it because the exactness of the notes and there you go that's where that stands now right. now why this matters is this was read into the congressional record in May in the public hearing by Congressman um, Gallagher. Oh and God. now we have had Gary Nolan, Dr. Gary Nolan, who's part of the working group and knew is quite very good friends with Eric Davis. I witnessed that at SCU conference that they're very close, you know, that whole group. I already knew that, but it was very obvious there. Okay, so so he goes back with that group and Dr. Gary Nolan has said in multiple interviews now, most notably a very extensive interview that he did for Channel 7 in Australia with Ross Colhart. So Ross Colhart interviews him and he says, I briefed Congressman Gallagher because my friend 
Dr. Eric Davis told me this meeting happened between him and the Admiral and that those are his notes. And so he briefed Congressman Gallagher in closed door sessions, which is why Congressman Gallagher brought it up and said to the guys heading up the UAP task force in that congressional hearing, we're going to address this again. So that's why Wilson Davis, it was already important, but it became very important because it became front and center part of the current disclosure story when that happened. Now, Grant came forward with notes from the original meeting with Oak Shannon saying, because Oak Shannon has gone public and said, everything the Admiral quotes me as saying in there happened. The Admiral and I had those meetings and those discussions. So then Grant has these meetings going back to the original meeting of the working group. And I have Jack Houck, who was also at that meeting. And these back up Shannon's role in helping put Eric as a member of the working group and the Admiral together and why there's that connection. So anyway, so but but Admiral Wilson is in play now because those notes were brought up in congressional hearing. Uh, I don't think I don't think Gallagher and Gillibrand and everyone are going to let it, you know, die. <laughs> okay. And this is going to come up again. I think if there are hearings, and I'm hearing from attorney Daniel Sheehan, who I'm good friends with, that there will be more hearings at the very least closed door. And, and Dan Sheehan says the reason all that verbiage is in the NDAA this year, going in, you know, going into next year's, in other words, the one right now that has verbiage that has already passed the House and Senate. It's in the NDAA. It's just waiting to the rest of the unrelated things, uh, amendments and legislation to be in there before it goes to Biden for signature. Now, last year, Biden signed it on December 27th, right after coming back from Christmas. But we are hearing through the grapevine that it is very likely to get signed way before then. It may get signed, according to Danny, in November, and may, you know, maybe in December, we'll see. But when that is signed, that verbiage in there, I, I'm uh, under the understanding, it's 31 pages of verbiage, but it gets into specifically that, um, that they, that it's Congress and the Senate wanting to know, you know, specific things, but it gets into them wanting to know about reverse engineering programs and crash retrievals. And this is why I'm bringing it up right now. It's not only a big part of the story, but it's the verbiage that we're calling the whistleblower verbiage or the amnesty. Those words aren't in there, but it gives a three-year period of time for anyone involved, anyone in military and intelligence circles who are involved in the UFO subject or UFO projects or or past projects or or um, past you know oh, departments yeah. and things going on, what they call legacy programs, but also e even if you've had a sighting or whatever, whatever you know, a reverse engineering program, whatever it is, it gives you apparently it's written in the legislation to give you the ability to come forward and talk about it without going against your NDAs, uh, non-disclosure agreements or without going against uh, your whatever, your security clearances. You know, the it, National Defense Authorization Act for fiscal year 2023 online. By the way, Grant, were you going to say something there about that? Um, because um, um, just, just the, 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 the fact that this document has been read in, she mentioned that, that they're going to use this as a sort of a roadmap 
to call witnesses because it, it that's does. Right. Open up that's what I was about to say. It's about calling the witnesses. Go ahead. Yeah, that's and, and 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 what disappoints me a little bit about it is I now we've learned that Leslie Kane saw this document in 2008, and Jacques Vallée has now admitted he saw it at least eight years before it was released. And I'm thinking like this is this is the way it, it goes. That the ufology game that the UFO people have got more secrets than the government, and that if everybody was going to come forward and release it, we'd get this thing solved. And you know, because I had a hard time releasing the document myself, both documents. But I mean, it's like the Bible says, "What profit of a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul?" Like, why are we keeping this stuff secret all the time? It just it just exactly. annoys. We did a great thing by releasing the Wilson Davis documents because in the Wilson Davis documents, and we'll wrap up. You get a glimpse of the wizard behind the curtain. You get a That's glimpse right. of who's pulling the strings. And it's not Mellon. It's not the president. It's not um, Elizabeth. There's, there's this, whoever's giving these contracts to those defense um, private industries is that secret government that is in a way controlling all our lives. And that's what we're pushing against. Well, and that's what Senate and Congress is is up against right now when they start asking if because of the passing this legislation i am hoping that they have the fortitude when they do hearings again to ask dr eric davis and admiral wilson to both testify i think if asked whether closed or open that those guys will then say that meeting happened those notes are real and then it gets thrown back to Congress to do a congressional investigation into the reverse engineering yeah. and into crash retrievals and whatnot, which yeah. is the deeper layer of the onion that, you know, that we're eventually going to go there and that could force their hand. And that's what I'm hoping will we're happen. Making snails progress, but it's progress, right, Grant? It's progress. Yeah. I just want to right. mention just one thing about who we're up against, and that was Dick D'Amato, who is the lawyer for the Senate Appropriations Committee when when the Lazar story broke in 89 the head of the Appropriations Committee said are we doing UFOs at Area 51 because if we are we're paying for it and we, we don't know what the hell's going on and they sent Dick D'Amato all over the place to Area 51 to find out Dick D'Amato then went to Jesse Marcel Jr. and said I just want to let you know this is all true there's a deep deep dark part an unelected part of the government that controls this. They've got the stuff. And this is Dick D'Amato was the guy that went to uh, Stephen Greer and said, I just want to let you know you're up against the varsity team of all black budget programs. Be careful. Well, good that's, luck. Why we're out that's why we're gaining momentum. That's why we're gaining numbers. That's why Neil's doing the portal to ascension, ultimate star being conference, because we are rising in number. This is a people's movement, like, you know, black liberation, women's liberation, yeah. all those it started with the people, start ending the Vietnam War. It started with the people. So it's us. We're the ones. Yeah, right? yeah, we, so, yeah so it's not just a good idea. There's a lot of good ideas like solving childhood cancer. But every, <laughs> as you said, every we're no different than any other social political movement. We have to push the thing. Just because it's a good idea doesn't mean everybody has to adopt it. We have to push the issue and, and make it and force right. it out there. I want to thank everyone for every, what everyone's doing here. Carolyn, what's coming up for you? Anything? Of course. Oh, my God. So much stuff, especially with how we left off with this last movie, with the classified thing. So, of course, we're going to follow up on that. So I have a few productions in the in the works. 
I get Rent and Tear in the Sky. It's a great film. You can even look at the, the trailer, but I, I I recommend getting it. Michael, you're going to have a big weekend coming up November 12th. Unmute yourself. We don't want to miss any of it. Okay. So if you want a great weekend, a great Saturday, uh, in person at the Academy of Medicine, 103rd and 5th in Manhattan, or free online streaming and YouTube, uh, and come in here, Ralph Blumenthal, talk about the latest that he's discovering through his New York Times research. Come in here, Harvard Smithsonian astrophysicist Rudy Schild, who brings together a new view of the universe and our place in it, bringing in a lot of the things we're talking about tonight. And three uh, weather, cosmic energy weather engineers who have really important uh, work they've been doing. It's not theoretical. They've been doing this work and they've been getting very good results with a technology that could buy us a lot of time and save us a lot of grief with the uh, global warming, climate change, desertification. And then Trish and I are giving uh, the overview of it, the, what, what our project, the next step is about the uh, mass-free cosmic primordial energy that's the underlying unity really of our existence. And uh, it's a conference unlike any you'll go to. And so I hope you'll join us. Yeah, great. Thanks for being here tonight. And I rec I'll be at the conference. I'm really excited. And um, Michael is the mindshiftinstitute.org. There's under events you can see and register for this weekend. Melinda, what about you? Oh my goodness, a uh, couple things I'm involved in that um, I think you can expect before the end of the year. I just, uh, a week ago, was taping a show, a TV show with Gaia Television Network. Um, many of you probably are very familiar with Gaia. And, uh, and it's a new TV show with radio host um, uh, Jimmy Church. And uh, it's called uh, Into the Vortex. And I'm very, very, very honored to have been one of the first uh, people in the first season of tapings. Uh, everyone on there, familiar names that you guys will all know, uh, like Linda Moulton Howe and, and uh, uh, Billy Carson, et cetera, uh, uh, Geraldine Orozco, et cetera. So, um, and so here uh, I taped a show with them where I'm talking about Wilson Davis, Shannon Houck, and that whole story, kind of like I did today. And uh, uh, Grant, you'd be proud of me <laughs> for doing it, doing it right. Give me, you. Your name was dropped a lot. Uh, anyway, so so um, that should air before the end of the year. Um, and so I'm excited about that. I'm in a new documentary that's about to come out called Accidental Truth. Um, made by a couple uh, different researchers in the field. Um, and, uh, and so that's kind of exciting. Um, so there we go. Um, I have my tours every, every night and readings every day here in Stone, Arizona. And uh, um, yeah, so those are kind of the main things. Uh, I'm not involved in this, but I want to make a quick plug for James Iandoli and J. Christopher King and the conferences that they're doing in New York are, are phenomenal. Um, and they have another one coming up on December. I think it's off the top of my head. I think it's December 8th. What? Yeah. And, and, I, and you guys, I hi highly recommend it. Um, I'm actually considering attending, but at the very least, I'll be watching it online. I've made it a definite decision yet. 
the last one was great with Gary Nolan. And, yeah, yeah. And um, the next one will have Christopher Mellon and Ralph Blumenthal and, and some others yeah. and uh, yeah. Leslie Keen uh, talking at it. So it's going to be a phenomenal event. Thank you. If you're in Sedona, check out Melinda's Sky Watch with night vision glasses. Okay. It's called UFOSightingTours.com. There you go. Thank you, Alan. Thank you. Thank you. Oswald, Osvaldo, what are you up to? What's, oh, what's, wow. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm talking Christian Gillibrand. Are you? Uh... <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm doing a lot of stuff. Um, I'm doing a lot of things. Uh, you can keep up with what I'm doing directly on my Twitter account at the Disclosure Revolution with Osvaldo Franco. I'm going to be launching a YouTube channel with a mini doc that I've been working on for quite some time with some uh, theories and some proof of these theories. Um, you can also uh, check out uh, the stuff that we're doing at the Orb Research Bureau with the app. That I got, I got a lot of stuff going on that we're doing. Where can we uh, check out the Orb Research? Where can we do uh, we have a uh, We have a, a Twitter account. We also have a, uh, we're up in the App Store as well, uh, Orb Research Bureau. Um, research bureau also you 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 also to check out the work that my collaborator patrick jackson is doing at quantum paranormal um we've got a lot of stuff going on and um there's a lot of things i'm not talking about at the moment but uh really exciting stuff talk to me about it when you can talk about it oh 100 listen this is not a forever i can't talk about this like a couple months we're going to have a nice discussion um you know uh I, i will be much more of an open book uh, when I can be, um, we're trying to dot our, uh, we're trying to cross our T's and dot our I's, make sure everything goes well. Okay. Um, and uh, that's uh, basically it. You can uh, keep we'll in be touch. In touch. We'll be in touch. Oh, yeah. and in touch with Grant. And Grant, you just wrote a book, and um, what's the name of that book again? Uh, I got the Alien Sky Pilot book. That's the one that's uh, the consciousness interface with the the craft and how they move the craft around and how everybody tells the same story and the oneness and the craft is alive and all that kind of stuff. And I have a book coming out shortly on ports and manifestations, which is deals with in all the fields, psychics, uh, physical mediums, UFOs, where stuff moves around or falls out of the sky or stuff, you know, stuff like that. So I'm doing a book. I think it's one of the few, the first books ever done on, on that phenomena. So that's coming out maybe within a month. Well, thank, thank you, Errol. Thank you all for being here. And you see this movie, definitely it's worth seeing. And there's so much happening. It's every day there's another um, kind of drop from that's dropping the disclosure movement and these people melinda's tracking it day but yeah we're supposed to have the public document the classified one that just went to St. congress we're supposed to get the public one any minute everybody you know wait that'll be interesting what we're hearing what's been leaked i, I won't go into great detail but we are hearing that it's 360 366 total cases uh 22 pages long was a classified we don't know how big the public one will be but uh they are saying while they are saying in it half of them are explained they are saying and i think it's important to focus on this half of them out of 366 that's a lot half of those accounts and these were from military and intelligence people to the uap task force anyways half of them are unexplained and so the and report they can't coming, be they can't be extraterrestrial is there always their line oh it's, it's unexplained well no they're saying they're fully you know unexplained and do things that meet the five observables so that suggests very advanced technology that's not from here well so i don't know what they're going to say till the report comes out everyone's everyone's you know armchair quarterbacking 
I tell everyone, there, wait, there no patients. That it's extraterrestrial, wait to rip each other apart till we actually get the report. <laughs> well, they always saying it's there's no proof it's extraterrestrial. I would say it is actual proof it's extraterrestrial if it's yes. not made by any country, any you know technology we know. That's the significance hey. of Wilson Davis because that yeah. says that. Right. Alan, masterful as always, brother. It's fun. No, I'm so passionate about this from the experiencers to the, I say it's offense and defense. You know, the defense is the government defending it and the offense is the experiencers moving the energy out into the cosmos. So both mm. sides are really dynamic in this interplay. It's like a yes. down. What else is there to really put your passion into except something unknown, mysterious that stimulates all our intellectual uh, capacities and yet still remains a mystery. I mean, mm. right, Melinda? It's probably the most exciting thing we can all think about. Then. Where do I begin? A left membership. It's like a spacecraft landed in my backyard. With Alan on the camel and my man Bashar Ten rabbis, a physicist, guru, and a genius A woman who can teach you how to grow your penis I'm a romp the Jay-Z channeling true love Oh, reality's boring, we're starting a new one Hearts popped open, Dalai Lama Rock your soul with my tantric chakras Now say Om with Deepak Chopra Natasha's so dope, who needs Oprah? Shaman Steve and his higher selves NSA can't stop my elves Fairies landed, whole world's dusted Hugging undercovers but naked in public Government's bugging but they're so corny Back to the cramp first all born orgy What? It's realities Changing the news to realities Gods interviews to realities Where do I begin? A left mention? J.J. Hurtock, keys of Enoch Open up doors, teleport to Montauk Navy ships disappear for battling Duncan Cameron starts time traveling Nassim Harriman, electron spin Word, I am word, selling channeling Paulo, masculine, feminine Marianne Williamson, tears to triumph Jade goddesses lift weights with their vaginas Till there's a tantric, holy glow Jody Sirota is a UFO from Sedona to DC, Washington disclose ETs. David Ike is like Adam and Eve. Meet me down a caravan of dreams. For Alan Steinfeld's new realities, which she's what? It's new realities. Changing the news, new realities. God's interviews, new realities. Where do I begin? A left mention, new realities. Changing the news, new realities. Gods and reviews the realities. Where do I begin? 